We found these catch-ups really crucial. The staff, I, I don't know, they kind of groan a little bit when we tell them that we're going to be doing these catch-ups because, you know, they all tell us we're really happy. We don't need to catch up. We tell you if there's any problems, et cetera, et cetera. But it's funny when you sit one-on-one with somebody for half an hour and you can niggle down to the things that might be affecting their workflow. And it's funny because they all say they're all happy and nothing needs to change. But we have a set of structured questions that we go through, which are strategically asking them in a couple of different ways, the same sort of thing. And it's amazing what you can actually get out of them and help them by asking them these questions over and over in a different way. And that stops us kind of just sitting there for half an hour catching up or staring at each other. And, and we've learned that these, these pain points can be really easily fixed from these conversations. And if it weren't for these one-on-ones, the staff would continue to work in any suboptimal conditions. Or for example, like we have a, um, an exemplary Webster packing service. And I say that because we've touch wood in the past three-ish plus more years that we've been doing it, we haven't had anything go wrong. So traditionally in pharmacy, you'd have a couple of pharmacists that kind of know what's going on and would have their hands in this service, but we only have one that manages the whole thing. And she would have to take phone calls and get back onto the floor to put the phone away. So in these meetings, we, we, we found that out and it was really easy to fix. Like we bought a new phone, put it out the back with her, and it's really, really improved her workflow. And then she can get back to sort of doing what it is that she does best. We have so many examples like this, and, and, and that's just a small one, but we really like these one-on-ones to encourage staff. It doesn't have to just be in these one-on-ones to tell us if they need something to make their job easier. Hi, I'm Lucinda Marks, Managing Partner at Capital Chemist Corwell and Pharmacy of the Year finalist. And you're listening to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership, the PDCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. Every pharmacist knows the importance of excellent patient care in pharmacy and the vital role pharmacists play in ensuring patient safety. But something that is just as important is prioritising the wellbeing and also the professional growth of your pharmacy staff. Today, we speak with Lucinda Marks, Managing Partner at Capital Chemist Corwell and one of the finalists for the Guild Pharmacy of the Year Award in 2023. When it comes to her staff, Lucinda and her co-partners know that actions speak louder than words. Capital Chemist Corwell has implemented various measures to enhance the work-life balance of their employees, including unlimited annual leave, work-from-home trials and regular one-on-one meetings. If you ever have the opportunity to visit Capital Chemist Corwell, you will see firsthand what a difference it makes to have empowered and happy staff. Let's hear from Lucinda. Lucinda, welcome to the show. First, I'd like to congratulate you for being one of the finalists for Guild Pharmacy of the Year. Being a finalist means that you've been recognised as a community pharmacy business who has demonstrated excellence within your pharmacy. Now, no doubt that makes you very, very proud. What has being a finalist meant for you and the team there at your pharmacy? Thank you so much, Daniel. It's it's an incredible honour that 
basically recognises our team's dedication and really how excellent they are. Being a finalist has really boosted the morale of our team. I think, you know, being told that they're great um, and whatnot can only go so far, but it, it really emphasises to them um, reinforcing their, our commitment to, to the exceptional care that we give, but more on a public stance rather than, I guess, as managing partners, our, our, our input or, you know, what it is that we think that the team is good at. Being a finalist, I mean, it, it's also increased our networking opportunities and kind of placed us on a map. So in terms of the, the Canberra community in general, the, the students know that, you know, Capital Chemist Corwell was a finalist and has really opened up opportunities for us to be able to pave pathways for other pharmacists um, and students too. Like all good award winners, Lucinda, you quickly shift the focus away from you and onto the team. So well done. But in all honesty, a great team goes a long way in ensuring that you are creating a good experience, not only for those working within the pharmacy, but importantly for your patients. It's probably an understatement that the team is is critical to success. But what is something that makes your team and your pharmacy special? So our patients often express their love for coming into the pharmacy and sometimes I'd actually, I'd, I'd wondered how much truth there was to that. Like, you know, they say, oh, we love being here, we love the atmosphere, whatever, but you, you know, a part of me thinks, oh yeah, but how much of that is to the extent that the patients are saying. But we, we are a really amazing place, a, a really amazing environment to be in because we create this environment that makes our patients feel safe and happy and you know I don't know if you're familiar traditionally in, in pharmacy or in business you you would sort of um, encourage your staff not to laugh too much particularly because it's in a, in a professional setting but we actually encourage laughter and if patients have any sort of a, a qualm with that we, we we will explain to them that this is you know our staff have to be here all day like and 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 kind of reassure them that it, it is still a professional setting and, and the laughter isn't directed towards the patient. It's more for the environment that we're creating. But we have this family that ha- has this personal family joke that, you know, if they feel unhappy or upset, they say, just go down to the pharmacy, the girls will make you feel better there or whatever. And um, I thought, what, what, what truth is in that? And I didn't really realise it until there was a day that I was having a particularly awful day and I went to work and I really understood what this family was talking about. Like there is no way that you can be in that environment and be upset or feel down because everybody kind of the laughter and the joking and the, and the warmth really brings everybody up. And I think, you know, when we're talking about people's healthcare, that's a kind of a pillar, you know, to start with. It's a really strong foundation. So I, I, it's, it's hard to sort of um, explain without you know, you experiencing it, but that's a really special aspect of our team and the pharmacy and the fact that everyone, I mean, always tries to go above and beyond for their patients and for their colleagues and to make this environment, I guess, as as pleasant as possible. A big part of your success has to do with tailoring your services to the community. Your community has a big population of school-aged children. You and I live in the same area and uh, probably about 15 years ago, it used to be known as Nappy Valley. So it has a a high population of school-aged children and 
Something many parents are all too familiar with is lice outbreaks. I remember having lice. I think I must have been about maybe 10, 12 years old. My mum had taken me to the hairdressers around the corner to get a haircut. And as soon as I sat down, they spotted the lice. And so I had to go and find my mum at the shops. And we went to the pharmacy and we got some lice treatment. And we had to go through the whole process. And I'm still scarred by the look my dad gave me as my mum was combing the lice out of his hair and, and making sure that he was clean. But fortunately, you have a service dedicated to the issue. Tell us a bit about that and why you think it's important as opposed to what we went through as a family and just the stock standard selling of the treatment and hope it works out okay for you. So this service is, is quite unique in the way that it, it's a one and done type thing. Whereas I know with life, usually um, kids are sent home. They quite often need to take a couple of days of school to be able to treat it effectively or numerous times. This is a lice-free guarantee way of making sure that it, it's kind of like a one and done, pesticide-free, uh, you know, it's, it's very quick, very easy. We are the, currently the only lice clinic within the ACT and its surrounding regions. So we get people from the Riverina and the South Coast travelling to us to get this treatment done. And quite often because lice can be quite stubborn, parents are really eager and desperate to get rid of them. And this, this, we also try to really debunk, you know, the, the stigma. It, it's something that we reassure the kids and the parents that, you know, it's something that you get. It's easily, you know, it's like a cold. You can easily get rid of it. it it's not something that, you know, should be. We understand why it is, but it's not something that should be stigmatised the way it is. So we make a really friendly environment. The, the women who do it as a, the pharmacy assistants, they love doing it. They have a good chat with the parents, good chat with the kids. Um, and it just allows everyone to get back to their lives nice and quickly as opposed to treating, retreating, breeding and whatnot. Something else that parents may struggle with is getting their child vaccinated. I know I've been through this experience a few times with my young children. Getting shots is something that many adults find scary. I know I'm not too ashamed to admit that probably until I was about 35, I was uh, quite afraid of getting needles. I did not like the process at all. I've been able to move on from it now. So it's understandable that children would react the same way, particularly if their parents are exhibiting fear around getting needles and vaccinations. However, you've had great success vaccinating children that others may deem unvaccinatable. What's your secret? Are you bribing them with lollies? So yeah, I mean, other than the the lollies and the and the Disney music and creating that ideal environment, we we pride ourselves on. We've never actually turned a child away. We've never said to a parent that we cannot vaccinate your child. And the secret is actually with my Webster packer Kylie. So she she's a mum of four kids. She doesn't take any nonsense from anyone. She has quite like you know you you can feel her presence in the room. And it, it, it really enables the parent to detach themselves from the situation, which I actually think is uh, mostly part of the problem because the parents, I think it's quite um, a, a stressful thing for them to go through. So if we bring this second, third party in, so it enables me to be able to, or me or my um, other colleague that, that vaccinates kids, it, it enables us to be able to vaccinate the child safely so basically what Kylie does, she'll come into the room, introduce herself to the kid. You know, she's quite good with kids, having four of them herself. 
And basically she gives the child a big bear hug, obviously with consent from the parent. And then, yeah, basically the child can't move and it's a very quick process. So we know with these children that we need to get into the room and get it done. So there's no talking. We've kind of done all the pre-vaccination work before we enter the room so that we get in there and get it done straight away. So it's over and done with. Sounds like an amazing process. I might just come and see you for my uh, next flu or, or COVID jab. Listen to Community Connections are a priority for your pharmacy. You have some connections through the Capital Chemist Group, obviously, but independently you nurture Strong Ties yourself with other local community groups such as children's soccer teams, Men's Shed and the University of Canberra. What do you think it's important that you, as an individual pharmacy, involve yourself with the community like that? By actively engaging with our community, we really get to understand their unique healthcare needs and and what their challenges are firsthand. So then what that enables us to do is tailor our services or educational initiatives and, and the programs that we choose to run to address the concerns that we have learned by engaging. With, with the community to make a real difference in their lives. With this collaboration that we have with these organisations or healthcare providers and the university, it can, can build this network of support that is kind of like a, a well-rounded healthcare as, a, as opposed to, you know, like a, I don't know, I guess a run-of-the-mill pharmacy would kind of, you know, dispense the drugs, give the drugs and not really know what it is that their community needs. And, and also by collaborating with the university where we're nurturing our future pharmacists and building pathways for them too which I think is really important and, and having the genuine care in, in creating this close-knit community we, we can all thrive as opposed to just kind of sitting in our own lane um, and then you know be really being able to make a difference in the in the lives of people and in their health too. Speaking of not just staying in your own lane and following on that theme or that thread around building connections, over the years you've formed strong connections with other local health professionals such as GPs, podiatrists and even women's health specialists. Can you tell us a bit about how you've achieved those relationships? How do you set about sort of bringing those to being and the benefits it has for you and your patients? So we've really nurtured these relationships at and the, the foundation for them is basically, in the end, to help our patients. The connections that we have with other health professionals are more like friendships rather rather than, I guess, professional relationships. I mean, they are still professional, but we, we do like to um, have each other's mobile numbers. You know, we, we know about each other's families, what we do on the weekends and things like that. And I, and I think, I know, I know that sounds a bit stroppy, but I think it, it's really important because then we are then able to connect to help the patient. So when, when somebody needs something, like, you know, when a, like we, we know an obstetrician very well, if she's in need of something really random or special for a patient, we're able to connect with her directly and she knows who to message, same with our local GPs, as opposed to waiting through a network of, you know, calling receptionists, trying to find someone who's willing to help. Whereas when you have those friendships, you can really be there to help the patient because you know who it is that you can ask or I mean even on a basal level when something's wrong with somebody's drug I know that I can text like if there's a couple of doctors that we have that we're really close with that we can text and say hey doc like you know, this is, doesn't look right are you happy for me to whatever whereas sometimes that could take days by the time you get the 
the message to the receptionist, the receptionist gets onto the doctor um, and that, and then you're kind of, the patient is then disadvantaged by that, which, which is, yeah, basically it underpins the whole reason that we have these relationships is, is to help the patient quickly. And through those relationships, have you uncovered might not be the right word, but identified any services that you've added to what you offer because of those relationships and the conversations and the learnings that are occurring? Yeah, so we have a halter monitor service, which we realised was a real, it was lacking within our community. People, our patients were having to wait up to six weeks to get a halter monitor, a 24-hour halter monitor to put on. And it's, it's, it's an easy service but it was just few and far between um, in Canberra. So we got onto some people that helped us sort of hook us up with the halter monitor and because it's bulk build, you know, it's fairly mainstream. And instead of waiting six weeks, I mean, this is, these are for heart conditions. So these are things that are, are quite pressing. It's not something that you can sort of wait six weeks for. Um, so, yeah, that, that enables them to get it, you know, on the day. At the moment we have two running. We have two running in our store and in our sister store we have one. So it's really accessible and and makes that accessible. Excellent. Lucinda, after lockdown, you created a new position, the triager. I'm curious to know a bit about the role and what it entails. I mean, I think the name sort of implies a lot of stuff, but how did you realise that the position was needed and and how has it played out and been received by by patients? Because not everybody likes change. And, And do you believe a similar position would maybe benefit other pharmacies? During COVID, the triage would stand outside of the pharmacy and essentially gauge what it was that the patient needed so they could be directed either into the pharmacy, to the pharmacist, or not sort of enter the pharmacy as needed. And that's that's what their purpose was during COVID. And we realised how much this improved the flow during COVID. And then we simply moved that role from standing outside of the pharmacy to inside the pharmacy. This is post lockdown and it's been extremely successful and it's been like that for a couple of years now. The pharmacy wouldn't run nearly as well or sufficiently without this role. So basically what they their role is is they address they're the first point of call that the patient will have when they enter the pharmacy and it, it enables the, the patient to be seen to, you know, pretty much immediately and then can be um, referred on to um, elsewhere. It also stops uh, the pharmacist. So uh, this role is mainly for a pharmacy assistant. It's not for a pharmacist because we found that when pharmacists were put into this role, nobody was ever there because they would be pulled out. You know, people want extensive conversations with their pharmacist. So I could imagine some people arguing, you know, it should be a pharmacist um, interaction in every sort of uh interaction but but it really works well as as an assistant these assistants they form really tight-knit relationships with patients and it's beautiful because they know what it is you know mr peters thank you so much for coming in what is it can i do for you it's really beautiful to see over the years you can really tell that 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 position has made a big impact with connections with patients too but it's actually quite an important role because they essentially are the traffic controllers of the pharmacy and this is what other owners may be interested in hearing so as opposed to you know a manager or the pharmacist in charge 
this person actually knows what everybody is waiting for, if everybody's attended to, and then they communicate that with the people who are dispensing and checking. So we have these big uh, clips that are coloured and the colour codes for certain things. So, you know, the patient is in the pharmacy waiting. The patient is waiting for a consult with a pharmacist or uh, there's an e-script or something. But basically, these clips will tag onto a basket so you don't actually interrupt anybody in their workflow, which I know some people are quite turned off about community pharmacy is, is, you know, the consistent interruption. So that just enables that communication effectively without interrupting anybody. So everyone knows what's going on just by glancing at what the tags are doing. Excellent. I love that. I, I love the, the, the innovation and, and the thinking outside the box to, to, to solve what is a, a pretty common problem. It's important, obviously, those sorts of things to help take care of your patients, but it's just as important to take care of your staff so that they can actually take care of the patients. It's a, a symbiotic relationship, so to speak. You catch up with your staff members individually every month. Some of the things you ask your staff about are things such as pain points in the workplace, what they want to learn, and maybe some things about what they want to change in the workplace. Could you talk a bit about why you feel this is an important thing to do, not just for the staff, but also what you personally have learned from doing it? We've found these catch-ups really crucial. And and as much as I don't think the staff, I, I know they kind of groan a little bit when we tell them that we're going to be doing these catch-ups because, you know, they all tell us we're really happy. We don't need to catch up. We tell you if there's any problems, et cetera, et cetera, you know. But it's funny when you sit one-on-one with somebody for half an hour and, and you can sort of really niggle down to the things that might might be affecting their workflow and it's funny because they all say they're all happy and nothing needs to change, but we have a set of structured questions that we go through, which are strategically asking them in a couple of different ways, the same sort of thing. And it's amazing what you can actually get out of them and help them by asking them these questions over and over in a different way. So, yeah, and that, and that stops us kind of just sitting there for half an hour catching up or staring at each other. And and we've learned that these these pain points can be really easily fixed from these conversations. And if it weren't for these one-on-ones, the staff would continue to work in, you know, semi-suboptimal conditions or, you know, something that's so easy. For example, like we have a um, an exemplary Webster packing service. And I say that because we've touched wood in the past three-ish plus more years that we've been doing it, we haven't had anything go wrong. So we have a pharmacist. So traditionally in pharmacy, you'd have a couple of pharmacists that kind of know what's going on and would have their hands in this service, but we only have one that manages the whole thing. And she would have to take phone calls and get back onto the floor to put the phone away. So in these meetings, we we, we found that out and it was really easy to fix. Like I bought a new phone, put it out the back with her and it's really, really improved her workflow. And then she can get back to sort of doing what it is that she does best. So we we have so many examples like this and, and, and that's just a small one, but we really like these one-on-ones to encourage staff to also let us know, not during, like it doesn't have to just be in these one-on-ones to tell us if they need something to make their job easier. And I think it's important that 
you go through that process and actually enact change like a new phone because it it, it plays into or, or just reinforces that the managers and the owners there care and if there is an issue that can be fixed you will fix it and so next time when there are issues sometimes those things will be coming to you outside of these monthly catch-ups correct that's correct and we do keep a list to keep ourselves accountable and we like to show that to the staff so that they can see that other colleagues or you know they're not the only ones that are are, are providing ideas of improvement like other people are doing it too and 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 they're being they are being acted upon. Great work. You're also currently piloting a plan to enable your pharmacist to have a weekly flexible work from home day. It's very topical at the moment and you've implemented an unlimited annual leave policy. That's correct, listeners. You did hear that correctly. An unlimited annual leave policy. So let's get into this, Lucinda. To start with, most people would assume that a pharmacist needs to be in the pharmacy to work. I certainly do. How does a flexible work from home day work for your team? So at the moment, we're trialling this within the pharmacy. So we haven't actually had them go home and, and, and do these tasks yet. But basically what happens is that the pharmacist is allocated time off the floor and uninterrupted to do what we call admin work. So often there, there are competing tasks within the pharmacy and a, a lot of pharmacists will be able to resonate with this. So, you know, you have a a patient in front of you waiting for your service, but then you also have a doctor that needs to be called for the patient that you were helping before and you might need to call, I don't know, a supplier about something. Um, and then this, this list is endless, right? And, and they're all competing for your time and attention at the same time. And if that's not an effective way to work. So what we've done is we have allocated these tasks. So every staff member can allocate these admin tasks to the admin pharmacist, basically. So the admin pharmacist will come in, they'll be off the floor, uninterrupted with these tasks to call doctors, suppliers, patients, whatever it might be. And that enables the pharmacists that are on the floor to attend to the patients that are in the store at the time. And provided that, you know, everybody is at work and well, and there's no one away sick, this, this, works, this works quite well. Every pharmacist also has what we call their baby, basically. So they have like a, a part of the pharmacy that they're, they're responsible for. So whether that be sleep apnea, the stage supplies, cannabis, they, they will also use that admin time to manage those services as well. So they always have something to do. And this, we're, we're hoping that this will be able to translate into working from home because in Canberra, we are competing with the public service. And I think pharmacy, particularly in Canberra, will be left behind if, if we don't change. Like we, we really need to reassess what it is that we're doing to optimise, like, you know, working life for, for our staff. And that goes into the unlimited annual leave policy which we've actually always had, but we've recently formalised it. And I, I can understand that other employers would be quite hesitant to do this. I think there might be some listeners in the fetal position right now. Yeah, you're right, Daniel. I, I can understand the concerns of other employers about this, but this is why it's so important to have good, strong, respectful relationships with your staff so you can then easily work with them 
so that you don't have, you know, six people off at the same time. I mean, it, it, it takes a bit of um, common sense as well. I mean, not everyone can just be away at the same time. But the the other strategy that we do have is that um, Elise and Kathleen, who are my business partners, who are the other two managing partners, they we don't roster ourselves on the floor full time. So so then we are able to pick things up as they come, which is every week. I mean, it would be unrealistic to have the three of us on full time and then to also be able to um, pick pick up shifts when when people are away. So that works out incredibly, incredibly well. And the other thing that you need to consider as well is that we have around, you know, 50, 50 plus staff members on our books. So for, for pharmacies, smaller pharmacies, I would understand why, how this, why or why this wouldn't work but but for us it actually works quite well i want to understand about the economics of it because i i would assume that anything over the normal sort of four weeks for full-time staff with if they were to take additional leave what's the economics of it are they paying for leave in advance are they taking unpaid leave what are the options for them yeah, it is unpaid. So they do they do get their four weeks, and once they go past that, they they are allowed. They're able to take as much leave as they like, but it would be unpaid because yeah, you're right. Economically, that that wouldn't work. It wouldn't be viable for the business. And how's it how's it play out? Because somebody gets four weeks of paid leave. Sort of what what sort of ballpark average do you find that people are taking on top of that? Are people taking three days, six weeks, how's it sort of playing out? I'd have to sit down and actually not that one out, but just anecdotally, I think it just depends what's happening in everybody's lives. Like for, for the staff that don't really have much going on, um, like, you know, they don't have many family commitments and things like that, they kind of stick to their four weeks and, and don't take anything extra. But for those who have quite large extended families and need to leave Canberra a bit, they, they, do, they do definitely make use of that. Very good. Lucinda, you've got so many amazing things happening in your pharmacy. It's been a really interesting and insightful chat, but I'm guessing you're not going to sit on your laurels at all. So I, and and I'm sure the listeners are as well, would love to hear about what the future looks like for your your pharmacy and what other things are on the board to try and achieve and, and change. The three of us, Elise, Kathleen and I, we're, we always say that we're on the lookout for advent, adventure, so we don't shy away from anything too quickly. Um, we're going to continue to look out for these opportunities for our community and, and basically, as we've always done, is once we, we see a need, we, we then do something about it. So I don't know what that looks for us just yet, but the opportunities are endless and I think these services will keep growing and we will try and take advantage of them and, and you know, grasp it by the horns, take it by the horns and, and go for it. Outstanding. Lucinda, once again, congratulations for being one of the finalists for Guild Pharmacy of the Year. As I said at the top of the show, being a finalist means that you've been recognised as a community pharmacy business who has demonstrated excellence within your pharmacy and clearly listening to you today, that excellence is front and center for everybody to see. So thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experiences and advice with us. Thanks for having me, Daniel. I enjoyed it. Thank you. 
Lucinda has provided us with valuable insights into the significance of prioritising the wellbeing and professional growth of pharmacy staff. As we have learned, excellent patient care and ensuring patient safety go hand in hand with creating a supportive and empowering work environment. By investing in the wellbeing and growth of their employees, they've created a workplace where everyone can thrive, patients and staff alike. Remember, by valuing your team, you are not only fostering their professional development, but also elevating the level of patient care and safety within your pharmacy. Thanks for joining us. I've been your host, Daniel Oyston, and you've been listening to episode 126 of the PBCN Podcast. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.